0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 384 for Monday, March 5th, 2012. (laughs) To the Mac Observers, Mac Geekab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips, you send in, well, just about anything you like. We try to provide some answers. We provide some tips of our own. And together, the goal is we all learn at least one new thing each week here in Durham, New Hampshire.
1: I'm Dave Hamilton. <laughs> is that is that our mission statement? That is. Oh, OK. It's not awesome. a bad mission, right? No. I don't know. I think you're setting the bar kind of low, though. At least one new thing. I At I, least, even even I learn at least one new thing in each show. All right. More. So, but anyways, four. And, and but who am I? This is John F. Braun here in Fairfield, Connecticut. But then I'm going to hand the baton back and up why to am new, I new Hampshire. Here?
2: <laughs> who am I and why am I here? <laughs> Pilot Pete, back here in New Hampshire with Dave. Afternoon, gents. Thanks for having me back.
0: Thanks for coming back. Well,
2: yeah. Assuming it's afternoon wherever they're listening, which it. probably Yeah. Well, isn't. with an hour <laughs>
0: worth of pre-show, it would be hard for it not to be afternoon.
2: Yeah. Well, to the people that are listening, which could be tomorrow morning. Oh, that's true. You know. Yes, that's right. Afternoon for us. Yes. That's right.
0: It's uh, late enough in the afternoon that we're allowed to be drinking tea. High tea.
1: That's right. I think you can drink tea any. Well, you can <laughs> drink pretty much anything you want any time of day, right? <laughs> that's true. It's always it's five o'clock somewhere. That's right. Um. <laughs> all
0: right. You know what, John? Let's just dive right in here before we uh, we got to get back on the on the uh, back on the train a little bit. We took last week off as I was uh, vacationing down in Florida, as it turns out, Pete and his family were vacationing all of about 10 miles from me, which was really oh, wow. kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So go, John. You want to uh, you want to kick us off
1: today? I do. And here but we have one with nice. something. Yep. Uh, all right. From Jim. Jim writes, I have something that I would love to be discussed on your show, and we will discuss it. I work at a company that uses all Macs, running 10.6, including several Mac OS X servers, also running 10.6. We store all our documents on these servers. Sometimes these documents are buried have five folders deep or more. When one wants to point out a coworker to find a particular file, it's cumbersome. It's easy to find the path and get info, but what would be much better is if you could send a clickable link. I think this can be done in Windows... But I've not found a good way to do this on the Mac. It needs to be fairly simple for all 30 users on the network and there would be a strong preference, though not a showstopper, to not have to buy third-party software. Anyways, thanks for any help you can provide. Well, Jim, I got good news for you. So I believe under Windows, this is called a shortcut. But you know what? They got the same thing on the Mac. But it's it's worded differently. And there are two places that you could find this. And my response to Jim was as follows. And then I think an alias is what he's looking for. So there are two ways that you can generate an alias. So if you click on a file, or pretty much anything, I think, though a file would be the most common thing, if you click on a file and then go to file, you'll see make alias. The other way is that you could control click or whatever you have for your, bring up your contextual menu on a file and also say make alias. And then you're going to get an alias file. And I think it has a little little arrow Within it, indicating to you visually that it's, you know, it's it's not the real file, but it's something that points to the file. And the only thing I did to verify, now he, he brought up the caveat that the files are stored on a server. So I did this, I did this in Lion, but I assume it's the same case in uh, in 10.6, is that I created one. I then ejected or dismounted the network volume. And then when I double clicked on it, um, you know, as, as you would probably expect, it's smart enough to know, oh, well, this isn't stored on me. It's stored on the network. So I'm going to try to... Mount the network volume and sure enough, the file that I selected, which was a movie file, uh, network volume, it said, you know, searching for network volume. So that, that was the longest thing I had to wait for. So it took a while. So I would think, uh, maybe one way to speed this up would be to have your, your servers mounted ahead of time. So you don't have to go through this wait. Uh, but yeah, it, it launched quick. It mounted the volume, launched QuickTime player and played the movie. So Okay, that but, is but my wait, answer. wait a minute. I'm I'm a little confused here because what he wants to
0: do is email a clickable link to someone.
1: All and, right, uh, and, I'm and, proposing that an alias, the alias, is the best way to do this. I yeah, but don't- when
0: I'm trying to email an alias, it doesn't email the alias. It emails the entire file. Mm. I was with hmm. you on this, and then I started checking it. Yeah. Um. Because I I made a, you know, I've got my Drobo here. Right. And, and I knew that my Drobo was attached to uh, all my computers. And so I figured, well, perfect little test. So as you were reading through this, I thought, all right, let's try it. And, uh, and I made an alias of, uh, uh, of a file on, on one folder on my Drobo and I see it and it's the, the alias is listed there. And then when I drag that into email uh, and that's, and that's the thing I'm trying to figure out here is, is it. Well, let's look. Let me make another alias of something larger, and so now I have this big alias, and I put this into the email. And sure enough, sixteen megabytes is the size of the file in the
2: email. So I don't know. Well, what about but a, what about a link? Because I'm looking at it here. I kind of did the same thing. And when you when you create an alias, command L, and then get, go get info there, you can pull the path and and, oh. and email that path. No. Yeah. So if you just email the path and make it a link, how will that work? Oh.
1: with their internal servers? I think that will Oh, and that could be it. Okay. So 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 within the get info, I, I see what you guys are saying. So, so yeah, one solution yeah, yeah. would be maybe store the aliases somewhere. Actually you don't right. even need so don't e- you don't, don't even need an them. alias. No, yeah, that's
2: true. You just need the path. Get info. But he said he didn't want to do that, the get info. He said saw a way to do it within
0: Oh. Yeah. You could find the path and give it info if you could send a clickable link. Well, that's the thing. So in get info, that is the click. And I'm on a, I'm on a a snow leopard machine right here. So if we do a get info on this file uh, in the general section, I see kind and size and where, which is the path to the file. But then I see server, which is an AFP link and it's got the full URL. So I think if I send this full URL to my other. Send uh, it to me. Well, it won't work because you're not attached to my drobo. No, I got to send true. it to my that's other true. machine. Yeah, it's easier yeah, than giving you got an it. account. <laughs>
2: <it>. <laughs> Bear with me here. Uh, Dave so, doesn't trust me, everyone. Well, that's, that's the <laughs> other part of it, everybody. I, I don't say nice. that I blame him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, okay, so let's see what happens. You with me on this, John? You think this is, yeah, I, I think this will work. Okay, so here we go. Making the sausage. Yeah. All right, let's see what happens. Yeah, that works. So right there under the wear. Yep. That works. The, the only problem is if your path has spaces in it, it is no longer a valid URL. Uh, but if you use, well, hang on, let's what do. What about this. If the file name as spaces? It, if I do like rich text email, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So if I do uh, uh, test link, and then I highlight this and I make it a link, add link, convert. Okay, and I do url so let's try this again i think this is going to work so as long as it's rich text so I, I i highlighted i said i just typed link but you could type anything you want and i highlighted it and then in mail i right clicked and i went to link and i, I did add link and then uh, now i've got this thing there so let's see if that works even though i have a space in my url what do you think john what do you think the chances are oh it worked Oh, that's awesome. So there you go. That's a better way to do it. Okay. Makes yeah. Although it's still it kind of, of cumbersome. It, it would be
2: nice. Um, I mean, certainly that works. It would be nice if the alias just sent the link. Right. It would be cool. Right. Right. Get on that Apple development team. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm, I'm, tra- I'm trying to think, is, is, there a, is there an automator way to do this? If you could oh, drag, grab a file and drag it to an automator action... And have that action start a new email address or a new email with the link to the thing. I think that, yeah, you could, you could extract that
2: information out of that. Absolutely.
1: Yep. 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 What do you think, John? I'm wondering if the other, cause the alias is one time of one type of link to a file. I know we've spoken about this in the past, but you can do, is it a hard link? Or well, you can do sim- link? sim
0: links but, th- but now we're talking about things in the file system. And I, I don't, I, I think that's the problem is they're not, they're not URLs to files. So they're not shareable amongst multiple uh, machines.
1: It, it, they're not emailable is really what it comes down to. All right. So it sounds like the best way to do it where you can bring it into, yeah. So w- within the finder you can say connect to server and then that is a, a url which would have yeah afp or smb or whatever networking protocol and then point to the file on the server it sounds like that that's a better answer
0: yeah i'm trying i'm looking i'm wondering if something like pathfinder has uh ha, you know has this functionality built in or forklift one of those two
2: yeah 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 because connect to servers is available under a finder action in automator as is revealed. Yeah, but we're not finder doing connect to server. Yeah.
0: We're just going to a link. Yeah. I mean, we're treating it like a URL, like any, you know, like a web address would be a URL. We're just creating a URL to the file is really all that is. Um But that but that would work. So there you go. But but uh, either either doing an automator action that grabs the server uh path out of it or mm-hmm. just doing a get info and highlighting server the, the contents of server and then just email that as a url all right moving along yeah ready to move along see there we are we're already you know, learning something no new. That no makes there's not of us
1: well no no i i, I think i have one other option here. All right, okay so i looked at this and i think this is a better way all right okay. go well i did the same thing on my file server and i made a alias to a folder okay now, whereas you observe correctly, which I did not notice, and I should have, but hey. <laughs> that's why uh, we're here. Whereas, whereas creating an alias to a file apparently creates something that's uh, the, the the same size of it, as, as uh, at least when you drag it into an email message. Yeah. Here's the other thing that I did, and I think this is a better solution. So I created an alias to a folder. Okay. All right. So it's not... <sighs> and then, you know, I'm trying to... Uh, I'm going to send a message. So I'm going to make a message here, and I'm going to grab... So I got a folder called pictures on my Drobo. Yeah, so I'm going to drag that over and looking at the size of that alias, that alias is not the size of the file. And in this case, is this going to be the size of, well, I hope it's not going to be the size of the folder because that could be very large. Yeah, it
0: is. And it seems to be taking a while. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. You are 131 megabytes. Um, no, thanks. Sweet. Yep.
1: All right. So <laughs> yeah, aliases, not the answer, not the answer darn yeah yeah all right good well
0: there you go we found we found an answer that's an interesting
2: one let me play with forklift a little bit real quick will you guys move on and all
0: all right yeah we'll move on all right pete if you if forklift or uh, pathfinder has something like that yeah. yeah cool thanks all right uh moving on we got a couple of questions about a dress book here so we will start with lionel he writes, so I have a uh, an iMac with a 500-gig hard drive running OS 10 Lion. Previous to getting the iMac, I had an older Intel Core Duo. Uh, Core 2 Duo, sorry. The problem is that I have address book that the address book app keeps restarting. I close it. And then a few minutes pass and it opens. Close, open, and repeat again and again and again. I've tried deleting the com.apple.address.plist file with no joy. Help, this is getting annoying. Okay, well, this actually sounds like a problem uh, that LaunchD is causing. Remember, LaunchD is sort of the granddaddy process that oversees everything, and it is possible. To tell Launch D to always keep an application open, uh, using a utility, you can certainly dig in uh, into uh, either Home uh, Library Launch Agents. I think help me there on this, John. Finding me the, uh, the 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 location of where that stuff is, but really, you don't want to worry about having to mess around with launch agents or launch demons or anything like that manually. Just run a utility called Lingon. And that will show you everything that you've got there. And I bet that you will see a line in Lingon for a dress book that is uh, causing it to open and open and open. Because really, Launch D is the only thing that would, uh, that would keep doing that uh, for you. So um, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I, think that's, I think that's the magic answer. Any thoughts okay. on that, John? No. All right. Cool. Moving on to Derek. Why does it keep quitting? Oh, hell no, it only... doesn't quit. It keeps launching. He keeps keeps launching. Yeah. Mm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Let me find this one because this is a file we added later. Who are we talking? Derek. Okay. I think I had the answer for Derek. All right. So I'm batting zero right now. For the record...
0: Uh, folks, yeah. the, the last one, I made it sound like I had the answer prepped. I had actually prepped an answer to a completely different question. And as I was reading Lionel's question, I realized, wow, I really hmm. got this wrong and, and thankfully knew uh, where to go with it. So, so far, you and I, John, are both batting zero on our
1: uh, on our prep well, here. But you know, look, look at look in our chat room and you'll see that I did find an article that uh, I think does answer the, uh, the question. Mm-hmm we were hinting at it, right? Oh, so look yeah. in the Skype room, but, uh, okay. But yeah. I found, I found an os 10 hints article that it basically uh, says what we've said. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Clickable links, uh, yeah. to yeah. How to represent path properly. Yeah. But here we go. So here is a question from Derek, dear John and Dave. That's properly formatted. I believe I have a problem with the search field in address book. When I search within all contacts, the search does not work. However, when I search within one of my address groups, the search does work. Also when I do look for duplicates this does not work. I would greatly appreciate any suggestions. And it uh, looks like he's from across the pond. Well, I have one suggestion. <laughs> I have two actually. So one, um go to system preferences and spotlight and make sure the contacts is checked. Yeah? Maybe maybe if that's unchecked, then the address book doesn't work properly. But the other thing, so here I had to dig a little bit. Um, and this kind of dovetail, I think, into another question we're going to get. But there is a somewhat hidden address book database file. And here's what you want to do. And actually, mine was quite dated, but I rebuilt it anyways just for fun here. So what you want to do is quit address book and then go to your user directory, library, application support, address book and there will be a file in there called address book dash v 22abcddb put that in the trash uh, then log out of your system because what I found is that that file is still uh, so somebody still looks at it or or it's, it, it says I can't throw this file away somebody's still doing something with it so I would suggest you log out and log back in and then when you start up address book it will rebuild this database file so cool. try those two things
0: and, and uh, if there is a piece of advice I can give you before messing around with your address book, launch address book, go to file, export, address book archive, and that ah, will yes. take that will essentially make a backup of your uh, of your address book data, which is not a bad thing before you start mucking about with stuff in the application support folder.
1: Good suggestion. Because nice. even though I threw this file away, I put it in the trash, and I created a new one. That that's why I suggest uh, revise the the ordering here. The the data didn't disappear. Well, actually, what I did is, uh, so here is another thing you could do. Yeah, so so I actually created an archive of that file Uh-oh. before I deleted it. Okay, so just yeah. in case I destroyed everything, I would have a uh, a .zip file of that database file. There you go. Yeah.
0: Cool. All right. Uh, and, and before we get to our third and what I believe to be final address book question of this show, I do want to talk about our first sponsor, which is smile software with PDF pen for iPad. We've all seen PDF pen on the Mac. We've all seen the awesome things that you can do with PDF pen on the Mac, Up until now, we haven't been able to do that stuff on the iPad because PDF pen for iPad did not exist. So now you can edit PDFs right there on your iPad for just 10 bucks. And of course, you buy this in the app store because that's how that works. Uh, If you get a PDF that is a form, you can fill that out. You can even have your signature in there and you can put your signature on and paste that in. Uh, You can make corrections to things. I've done this where you pull the PDF and you want to edit the text that's in it. You can edit it right there uh, inside PDF pen. It, It works beautifully well. It's awesome. Uh, you can store your PDFs in the, in iCloud so that your Mac and your iPad can be editing the same PDFs. If you've got something that you're working on, or if you pull it into your Mac and you know, you're going to need it on your iPad or edit it later on your iPad, you can use the cloud. You can go back and forth, of course, with iCloud. And, uh, and so I encourage you to go get it and check it out. Uh, I've, I've, like I said, I've been using it basically since it came out, um, late, late January to about five or six weeks ago. And, uh, and I, it's been something that I've always wanted on the iPad, so it's great to finally have this. Uh, and uh, and then once you do buy it, Smile would love to encourage you to go to the App Store and review it and let them and everyone else know what you think about it. So go ahead and check it out. SmileSoftware.com PDF pen is uh, where you're going to learn more about this, but uh, where you're going to buy it, of course, is Apple's App Store at, uh, at well, in the App Store, either Inside iTunes or on your iPad directly and download it right there. So check it out. PDF pen for iPad from Smile Software. All right. And now it's time to move on to Michael. And for Michael, uh, let me find my notes here. Michael writes... I have shared a login with my wife on the same computer for years. Now with iCloud and other OS changes, it's becoming more and more difficult for us to share the same Mac user account. The one thing we want to keep in common between our accounts is our address book data. We share many of the same friends, and it's silly to have to change contact information in both our accounts all the time. Can you please provide what you believe to be the best solution for this? Okay, I have a couple of ideas. I don't know which one's going to be the best for you, but, um, there's a couple of ways to sync address book data. Number 1 is using iCloud. So you could get an iCloud account for uh for you uh, or depending on what you need to do with iCloud you could share an iCloud account, right? Uh but iCloud's sort of weird in that it's not entirely easy. To have an iCloud uh, multiple iCloud accounts running on the same Mac, it gets a little bit funky because Apple just didn't design it this way. Thankfully, though, Apple did design Address Book to be able to sync with Google's addresses. So, if ha- sharing an iCloud account for the sole purpose of, of um, syncing Address Book is not feasible for you, uh, then create a Google account that you and your wife use only for addresses, and you can add this to your Macs, of course, and then if you have iOS devices, you can add it there too, and uh, and it will all sync just fine. The one thing that's a little weird about Google is you have a maximum of three phone numbers per person. Now, that seems like a lot, but uh, but if that's not going to work for you, then Google may not be the answer. But uh, So I've thrown out a couple of options here, but I think the Google way would be the best way because you can just create a separate Google account that only does this add it to all your devices and set it up only to sync contacts. Don't worry about it for mail calendars, anything else, just do it this way. And I think, I think that's the, well, at least that's how I would approach this. I don't know if you have any other ideas, John.
1: I'm with you. You're with me. Are you sure you're with me? There was quite a, quite a delay there. Uh, the, the gears were turning, but yeah, I mean, all other right. than creating, creating another one. I mean, yeah.
3: A yeah. A right.
1: one. I, I, Yeah.
0: All right. Well, that mm-hmm. uh, that does it. Before we uh before we move on to uh to the next question here, where we move into speakers land. Do you have a, yeah. uh, you, you said you had something to yeah, show me? Yeah, I do. I
2: got, I, and, I, and I want you to look at it. Uh, unfortunately, I think, uh, because I'm a forklift fanboy, I think Pat, uh, Pathfinder is more powerful on this. Okay. But if you take a file and, and you right-click or command-click, you get copy path, and you get the option to go Unix, HFS, Windows, Terminal, URL. URL. Name. That's what you want. Yeah. And, then, uh, and I, I, sh- I put it here on, te- let me go to text edit and show you what the, what the different ones, sorry, what the different ones uh, will, will look like. So, and I, and I labeled them there. So it depends, you know, if, if, if you're on a system or URL, URL is the one. So, yeah. And that works out really well. And then uh, the other thing that, uh, and that's in, that's in Forklift. No, that's in Pathfinder. Okay. Pathfinder Pathfinder. seems to be more powerful, but Forklift offers, if you, if you right click, uh, you can just copy path to clipboard. There you go. That's your other option. Okay. And neither one of those are available anywhere in Finder that I'm able to determine. Cool. Well, there you go. Thanks, Pete. So, So, yeah, either one of those, it seems like we do it. Yeah, it looks like uh, Pathfinder's more versatile. Yep. With the app, you know, if you want to send it to somebody that's on a Windows system.
0: Yep. Yep,
2: true. uh, Or use the terminal. The terminal path is handy, obviously.
0: Yep. Cool. Thanks, Pete. All right. Hopefully that gets Jim his his answers back there. All right. Uh, Now, let's move on to Paul.
3: Hi, John and Dave. My name is Paul Hughes. I'm in Albany, New York. My wife and I DJ with our iMac computer, and sometimes we have the the speakers that we DJ with are close. Sometimes they're very far away, like if we're outside or if we're at a big hall or something like that. What I wanted to try to find out is um, I usually use the speaker out to go out to the mixer that goes to the amplifier, I wanted to see, is there a way that you can configure it so that the speakers will stay on and the speaker out will work at the same time so I could use the computer as a monitor so that I can actually hear the music without listening to the speakers that are on. Um, but that that was my question, was to see if you could actually do them both at the same time. If you could uh, email me the question.
0: All right, so uh, the, the 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 short answer to the question is no. It won't work. Um, it used to work, but uh, OS 10. And then it, so it started to be a limitation in software. And now it's actually a, a limitation in hardware. And this is based on a conversation I've had with uh, Paul over at, at rogue Amoeba about this, because I would like to do this too. Uh, but you can't, uh, the Mac will not address both the internal speakers and the headphone port, the built-in headphone port, simultaneously. Uh, once you plug something into the headphone port, the, the speakers sort of disappear as an option. Now, it will be frustrating because you'll tell me, but Dave, if I have something plugged into the headphone port and I boot my Mac, I can still hear the startup chime coming out of my Mac speakers, and that is true. But uh, there is no way, either, either supported or unsupported, as an application developer to uh, address the, the, the audio uh, separately like that. So it goes away once you, once you kind of boot up. So you're going to have to come up with another solution. Uh, One solution would be to get a USB audio uh, output device, like an iMic or anything like that, right? That you can then plug your speakers into. And that would totally work because, um, Well, because now you don't have something plugged into your Mac's headphone jack. So your internal speakers and your external speakers are um, addressable separately. So so that that would be a good thing. Now, you could do it with a USB um, direct thing, but you said you're using other speakers and maybe these speakers aren't right next to your Mac. Well, that's kind of the place where uh, something like the audio engine W2 comes into play. That's their wireless uh audio system and it works really well. You just plug uh this um actually I guess it's the W1. Sorry, the W2 is for the iPad. Um I don't know. I'm trying to think. Is it the W1 or the W3? It's the uh, the W1 is now retired. So it is the W3. Uh essentially what it is is it's a wireless speaker extension. So you would plug uh, this in USB into your Mac and, uh, off you go. So that, that would be another way to do it. Um, but, but you know, I think a USB audio device of some kind is your trick here and that's, what's
1: going to, uh,
0: that's, what's going to allow you to do this. Did you have, did you have something to add here, John? Am I seeing you, uh, chiming in with something?
1: Not for this one, but the next one.
0: Okay. All right. Delayed chime. What's that?
1: Pre-chime, a, de- a delayed
0: chime, a delayed chime. All right. Okay, cool. All right. So, uh, so that, yeah, it, and it's unfortunate because it would be cool to be able to address the two, but you can't. So you've got to get another audio device, which in this case would be USB or firewire. Remember, I mean, it, you know, if you've got a firewire, equipped uh, Mac, then, then firewire certainly, uh, is a, another way to deal with audio. But, uh, but that's, that's the only way to do it and have both working simultaneously. Um, I'm trying to think if there's no. I'm trying. There's no way to do it in software. So okay, all right. We'll move on to uh, to Russell here, and we will see what Russell has to say. Along the same lines, Russell says, "I I listen to my music in iTunes uh, on my MacBook Air through speakers connected via Bluetooth." The problem, of it, problem is that all sound on the Mac, such as the beep associated with the volume keys and the tone signaling the arrival of email, et cetera, comes through the speakers, not just the music played through iTunes. How can I limit the sound output so that only iTunes music will be played through the Bluetooth connected speakers? Thanks for any help with this. Okay, oh. so. Y- you- I got it. All
1: right, go. Take do it. you have it? I do. Sure. Yeah, but go ahead. Well, I just, it well, I just took it from you. Yeah, so- go. My suggestion would be, (laughs) (laughs) gimme. My suggestion would be as follows. Nice. So, system preferences, sound, sound effects. And there's going to be a selection here play sound effects through. And the default, I believe, is selected sound output device, but you can also choose another one. And in addition, there are checkboxes that say, Play user interface sound effects, play feedback when a volume is changed and play, or at least on my uh, Snow Leopard machine, play front row sound effects. So I would say at least the place to start is the sound effects section of the sound system preference. I'm not sure if that works for email, though. uh
0: i It might. I'm not sure if the system treats an email, an incoming email as a sound effect or just a sound. So, so that might work. In fact, that's a, that's the perfect place to start. If that does it for you, then you're totally solved, Russell. Uh, You're in great shape. If, however, that is not enough, then you'll need something that's going to, that's going to kind of reroute your, your, your audio. Um, And, you know, I always start with Audio Hijack Pro. Because that's the, uh, well, frankly, that's that's the easiest way, well, it's the most flexible way of grabbing audio and sending it somewhere else. So what you would do is inside Audio Hijack Pro, you would create a new uh, session, is what they call these things, and then you would set your uh, input device to be, you'd set it to application audio is what you would do. Uh, And then you would set your output device to be whatever you want your output. So in system preferences, you would set it um, in in Russell's case. uh, You would set your internal speakers as your main speaker so that everything plays there unless otherwise directed. And then inside Audio Hijack Pro, you'd grab iTunes in this case and send that out only to your Bluetooth speakers. And and that way you're controlling everything and, and you've got it all managed. And, and the only thing that's going to go out to your Bluetooth speakers is, is iTunes. And that's pretty much a guaranteed way of doing that. So if you've got stuff that's not quite uh, falling
1: under that sound effect setting, that would be the way to do it. You know, one thing I was looking for, and it seems that they don't exist, Dave. So of yes. course, one way you can you can redirect iTunes output is to use airplay uh, an airplay compatible platform yes yes yeah, that's like, correct
2: like your apple tv or another another
1: right the thing that i was looking for and apparently there are it's either or you either have speakers that are airplay or they're bluetooth but i didn't find any my one thought was you could make your bluetooth speakers airplay compatible but i uh, i'm not aware of something that does that Um, Maybe there is. If anybody knows that either it's uh, I would think it'd have to be something in the speakers itself. And apparently, I guess you have to license the AirPlay protocol. And I guess the Bluetooth guys don't want to do this, but that's. uh, I mean, you could look in iTunes. I mean, you'll see them. I believe it's usually in the lower right hand corner. You will see any AirPlay compatible devices list themselves in the lower right hand corner of. Of um, right. ITunes. That's right. It yeah. just magically appears
0: there,
2: doesn't it? Does it yeah, does it doesn't. And then I guess an Airport Express won't do Bluetooth, because uh, one of the AirPlay options is an Airport exp- Express. Plug it into a wall somewhere and jack yeah. you, your speakers in. Yeah, but, but there's that, no that way kills to do Bluetooth, Bluetooth. Yeah. right? So right. your Bluetooth speakers on eBay.
0: Yeah, right. By an well, express. That, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. No easy
0: answer. There is no easy answer there. Yeah, that's true. So where is,
1: uh, no, okay. No, I was poking around and I, I thought there were some options here that, that gave you, yeah, I don't think there are any, any way to really tweak airplay within iTunes. It's just, if it's there, it's there. You, you just see a, see it in a menu again on the lower, lower right typically. So,
0: oh well. Yeah. I'm trying to think of if there's a better way, but I don't think there is.
1: Not with Bluetooth. No, I like your, I think I I like where you were going, Pete, is that, yeah, if if you get an Airport Express and you can somehow get that to talk to Bluetooth speakers, well, that that would solve your problem because then it would route it all through the Airport Express. Well, I wonder if there's
2: some way to plug in, you know, some kind of a stereo transmitter that would be, or a Bluetooth transmitter into that headset or into the audio jack of an Airport Express.
0: Uh, yeah, I don't know of one that exists, but
2: there may be something
0: certainly. Yeah. If there's right. Yeah. That, that would be, yeah. Technically feasible. I don't know if one
2: exists. Yeah. Yeah. Got to get rid of those Bluetooth speakers, man. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Or, (laughs) or use audio hijack pro. I mean, the cheaper solution here is to do it with software. Sure. Yep. All right. Uh, I'm trying to think, would airfoil do that too? Oh, yeah. You know, because Airfoil, yeah, to- totally. Wait a minute. I'm being stupid about this. OK, so well, you, it's essentially doing the same thing. But Airfoil has a slightly, slightly more user friendly interface. So what you would do is the way that Airfoil works from Rogue Amoeba, same people that make Audio Hijack Pro. So this is like the same. It's the same thing packaged a different way. Uh, what Airfoil does is it's built to take your iTunes audio and send it to other Macs or iOS devices throughout the house, right? Via wifi. And it syncs it all up so that you're getting your, your sound in the same place at the same time. But, uh, so, so the way you do that is you have the airfoil app and then you have, um, a, an app called airfoil speakers and you install airfoil on the machine that has iTunes on it. And that's the broadcaster. And then airfoil speakers, uh, you can put on your other Macs or Windows machines or iOS devices. And then they just become receivers for this. And, you know, you set it up and do whatever you want. So what you can do on the same Mac, though, is you can install both apps. You install airfoil and airfoil speakers. And then you set again, you set your Mac for all the audio to come out, the internal thing, just like you want. And then you set your airfoil speakers to play to your Bluetooth and then you tell airfoil to send to the exact same Mac that you're on. So it's a little convoluted, but once you get it set up, it just works. So you're going to have to kind of pick your poison and decide which is uh, simpler for you. Frankly, if it were me, I would do it with Audio Hijack Pro because it's one app and it's really not that complicated to set up. If you want this ability to do it with airfoil or perhaps you have other Macs and hearing this conversation triggers you saying, hey, wait a minute, I could have the music here, here and here. Really? That'd be awesome. So then you're going to use airfoil. So that, that would be the other way to do it. So Crazy, though. You got you got me going all over the place here today, John. It's crazy. It's crazy. All right. Let's go to Keith. This is an interesting one. Uh, so Keith writes. Something weird has been happening to emails that have attachments. When I move one of these emails from my inbox or sent folder, the attachments seem to get garbled. It may be a viewing thing as the attachments seem to be in good old base 64 encoding. Is there a way to view the attachments as they were meant to be viewed? Uh, As a point of reference, I'm using Gmail's IMAP, IMAP service with Mac Mail. Note that when I look at the emails in Gmail, the attachments are there just fine. However, even on Gmail, the attachments are relegated to the bottom of the email and not interspersed with the text as originally composed. Okay. Uh I've seen this too, and I was so glad when I saw Keith's email this morning because it's one of those things that's bothered me, but I've never bothered to research it. It's kind of like the, you know, the the cobbler's kids with the bad shoes, right? So uh uh-huh uh um, So, what's a, co- what's a cobbler? Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. boy. Okay. Uh, that's fine. That's, 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 watch You're me teasing. grab the reins and see if I can keep this train on the tracks. Go. Is that a good enough mixed metaphor for you? We've got cobblers, trains, horses. Wait, can we do anything else? Uh, anyway, uh, so I, th- I really think this is a male... Dot app issue because I did some searching online to see if other people were experiencing this. And they were, and it wasn't just Gmail users. Uh, but I've certainly seen this because we use Gmail here. Uh, the, the issue is that moving a message with an attachment to a different IMAP folder, just as you described, Keith, causes, sometimes causes the attachment to just not get processed right. Uh, the solution is simple. Like you said, it shows up okay on Gmail. Which means, uh, and and to answer your question, no, I don't think you're ever going to get the message back where the attachment's in the middle. I think mail has done something permanent to these messages. But the good news is the attachment's there, and it's really easy to get it back. You just go to the mailbox menu for the mailbox that contains the affected message and choose rebuild. Now, before you go and do that on a mailbox that has 10,000 messages in it, be warned. When you choose rebuild, it wipes out, uh, rebuild on an IMAP mailbox, it wipes out your local copy and pulls everything down from the server again. That's fine if you have 10 messages in your mailbox. If you have 10,000, this is going to take a long time. So there's a solution. Create a temporary mailbox on the IMAP server and move the message to that, then rebuild that mailbox. That'll get your thing and then move it back. Hopefully the act of moving it back doesn't garble the attachment again. Uh, but I, I think I, I tried this with some this morning and it worked great for me. So I, I I don't I'm not sure what causes mail to do this, but it might be when it's moving too many things simultaneously and it gets caught up. I don't know what the magic answer is, but there's that. The other solution, if perhaps you've already moved these messages into your archive and they don't exist on an IMAP folder anymore uh, where you can rebuild is to uh, there's a Mac OS 10 hints article that we'll put in the show notes where someone describes the process of using the terminal to parse these messages. As Keith said, it looks like the attachments are intact, and they are. They're just um, encoded with with what's called base 64. And in fact, they're always going to be encoded that way when you send them. It's just that mail usually parses them properly. But there's instructions for essentially spitting the mail message out as a text file and then uh, converting it. Uh, converting the attachment out with a with something from the command line. So we won't go through all the nitty gritty here because it's easier to read that kind of stuff and we'll just put the link in the show notes. So hopefully that one of those two solutions will answer your problem there.
1: Huh, good stuff. And you know, oh, I'm know. glad you mentioned the show notes, Dave, but you know, some people may be wondering and now is as good a time as any, right? To yeah. talk about the show notes. Yeah, go. You know, if I was looking for the show notes, you know where I'd go, Dave? I would go to macgeekgab.com and then you will see a list of our most recent episodes. And if you click on the link to an episode, voila, you will see the show notes. Now you will see a status there. You will see a status saying show notes are in progress. And that means that I am scratching my head and searching the inner tubes for all sorts of wonderful, perhaps additional stuff to put in there. And when they're done, so, so that's where you look and, and you'll see the, the status. And when they're done, I will then send out a tweet via Twitter and if you had to guess what the Twitter handle was or the ID if I, you if you guessed it was macgeekab you would be 100% correct but I'm that's not the only one so macgeekab is the first place you want to look for just uh, notifications that the mp3 is up uh and that the show notes are complete but that's not the only Twitter handle that you may find uh informative and or amusing so there's macgeekab that has to do with the podcast of course but there's also mine and, and note, this is a personal account, so it's it's uh, sometimes related to the show, but sometimes not. <laughs> you want the official word from the show? It's MacGeekEb. But if you want to follow me, it's John F. Braun. You want to follow him, it's Dave Hamilton. You want to follow the other him, it's Pilot Pete. Um, Mac Observer, of course, on Twitter is uh, where you will see uh, the articles that we post on a regular basis throughout the day. What else? What other tweet, tweet, tweet tweeters, twitters? Michael Johnston. Oh, he, of course. He
0: might as well take the time now. What does to, he do? He, he takes the show, each episode, and converts it to AAC, adding all those chapters and links and images, and uh, some of the images are silly, uh, some of them are, most of them are informative. And the silly ones are usually of you. <laughs> I know, he, he's, had, he's had quite a few good ones over the years, I still, if he has it, he'll put it here, and I think he, he already knows cool what I'm talking cool. about. No, the, the one... <laughs> I forgot about that one. Uh the the one where after I moved to New Hampshire here, he he put like this thing, he drew like my house and a bear and the
1: woods and this whole oh, crazy thing. Oh, like what your new uh your new uh homestead looked like. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You got, it was awesome. I mean do you have bears? I oh I yeah. I think you have you would have yeah, mooses more than bears. Oh yeah, okay. We have both. Yeah. I I mean, you know, we're yeah. It's it's normal. Well, We've had we've had bears more more in northern um, uh, Connecticut, not, mm-hmm. not so much in my neighborhood. But, right. but I have but, but mooses are, are foreign to Connecticut. I don't think I've ever heard of a moose in Connecticut. Yeah, we've had them
0: in the yard. Yeah. But no. anyway, uh, so that's what Michael does. And he's Michael Johnston on Twitter. And he also is the host of the We Have Communicators podcast, which is an awesome show. And I encourage every single one of you to listen to it uh, all about iOS devices. He has Adam Christensen from the MacCast and Jeff Gamut from TMO on there all the time. And other special guests, um, when, when available. So, uh, including you and I, I
1: think I've, I've certainly been on there. I don't know if you have, but uh, I don't think I have. No. And round right. things out here, you yeah, want to get in touch? Well, we might as well wrap yeah, it up. Finish so up. You want, yeah. You want to get in touch with the podcast. You, you want to send us a, a question? Um, or just anything really. Uh if you send it via email, the address that I would use would be feedback at MacGeekab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekab.com. Pete Pete, what did you hear there?
2: I heard feedback at MacGeekab.com <laughs>
1: I think that's a first where all of us just said it once. I, I thought I'm thinking outside the box here. Um, you can do that. The, the other address, um, if you'd like to sign up for our premium subscription, which is two additional episodes per month, uh, $25 for six months, I believe, Dave. That's right. Uh, and, and that you would send to premium at macgeekab That's premium um, at Mac but only for you premium members join today. And, and, and last, if you want to get in touch with us on Facebook, we, we, every time I go there, more people, uh, go to Facebook. So that's facebook.com slash Mac You can yeah, go there and you can like us and, and you can, uh, that, that also is where I post updates, uh, where we post updates, uh, both when the shows are posted and the show notes are complete. And we also, uh, entertain, uh uh questions there as well and sometimes even answer them. So I I think that's oh, and you can call us at 206 666 Geek, which is four three three five. I thought you'd never say it. I'm so happy now. Okay. <laughs> all right. Uh, that seemed to take a long time, but there's so many we, we, we just want to offer options because options are good and we just want to offer all these and iTunes comments. Last but not least, go to iTunes, go to the podcast, uh make a comment, rate the rate the podcast
0: speaking,
1: speaking of, of options Yes. You
0: have an option when you are signing up for your own domains. And that brings in our second sponsor for this show, which is a returning sponsor. We're happy to have them back hover. Uh, you're going to want to visit hover.com slash M G G. That'll get you 10% off on what you're doing over there at hover. Now uh, you may ask what's so special about hover. Why use them? Uh, you know, there's other domain registries out there. Well, hover focuses on a couple of things. First and foremost, they focus on you. Their job is to make it as easy and smooth for you to sign up for your domain name as possible. They have really, they have a really, really elegantly designed website, really simple to use. There's not a whole lot of cross-sell and they're really happy about that. Uh, They just try to make a smooth path for you right from, I want to sign up to thank you very much. I've already paid, you know, and And, and then they've got, uh, they they do something a little different. They've got a huge help section on their website first and foremost, with lots of, lots of different answers to questions. If you have any, if you have anything you need help with and let's face it, domain stuff can be kind of this voodoo. So, so sometimes you need help. So even if, even if you're a geek, sometimes you're just going to need some help. So they, they have a great thing on their website. And then, then between 9am and 8pm EST every weekday, uh, And perhaps even on the weekends, they have no weight phone support. You pick up the phone and call them and someone picks it up on the other end. It is human to human. The only thing in between is the phone ringing and you get to hear it and they get to hear that too. So it's the enjoyable sound of a phone ringing being answered by a human being on the other end. Uh, And again, it's hover.com slash MGG gets you your 10% off. Uh, and I believe
2: Pete's
1: a, a Hover customer. I am. Yeah, a Hover lover.
2: Yeah. He's that, a Hover lover. There it is. Uh, yeah, it's good. And, you know, the thing is, they'll do stuff for you. If, if you call them and say, hey, I'm trying to do this, not working, okay, I'll take care of it for you. You know, hmm. look back in 10 minutes. Or... If you go, hey, could you help me? I'm feeling kind of stupid here. Work through this. And they'll walk right through, hey, do this, click here, do that. So either way you want to go. So, so the people
0: on the, it's not just that you're getting somebody to answer the phone. It's that they actually are able to help.
2: Oh, yeah. They, That's awesome. They understand completely what they're doing. They're, and, and and it's great. I've I've had a great experience with them.
0: Cool. Hover.com yeah. slash MGG. We'll tell you a little bit more about them the next time we talk about it. Hover. But uh, but we certainly are happy to have them back on board. All right. I think we've got time for, you know, I, I, maybe we should. Let's do these photo questions. This is good stuff here. All right, David. Go.
3: Hey, John and Dave. This is David from Raleigh, North Carolina, and I need you to put your marriage counselor hats on for a moment for me. My wife has a iPhoto. And she uses the faces feature and has done over, like, 10,000 faces being identified. And iPhoto crept out on her and had to do a a rebuild. And she did that, and when it came back up, her faces are no longer there. They're no longer identified. So I didn't know if there is something I could do to... Regenerate that and get that back. I'm sure that information isn't lost. Those photos still have some kind of tag or something associated with it to rebuild that. Also, have Time Machine backups, and I have the photos on a uh, separate hard drive as a second backup. So I don't know what approach to take to try to get that proper database linkage or file back in place so that my wife will be happy again and you save our marriage. Uh, thanks for that. Also.
0: All right. So uh, he does have a second uh, question <laughs> as as though something could be more important than saving his marriage. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, John, I think you've got some thoughts on this first one and then we'll go ahead and, and I, and I not only the second have
1: half. thoughts, Dave. I have an answer. That's what we're looking for. And I knew this in the back of my mind, but I, I dug around and I found a link to a very nice Macworld article. But it uh, it confirmed what I suspected. So one, just a clarification here is that this data is not stored in the photos itself it's stored in two separate files <laughs> now one i i do believe it was mentioned that um that uh there is a backup of this uh, uh iphoto library file or at least i certainly hope there is because if there isn't then uh your sol got it But if you do have a a prior version, so so again, I hope you have a a backup of this file. And uh, the the name of the file is, uh, so if you go to your pictures directory, you will see a file, not surprisingly, called iPhoto Library. But you know what? That's not really a single file. It's what's known as a package. And how do you get inside a package? Well, one way is you can control click on it and say show package contents. And if you click on the iPhoto Library... Then you show the package contents. You're going to see two files in there. You're going to see face underscore blob. Not like the blob in the movie, I believe. It, it, it stands for a binary large object dot DB. Is that so, what yeah, that
0: st- it stands for?
1: Uh, in computer science terms, uh, uh, yeah, look it up. But I'm pretty sure that stands for binary large object. So it's just a big, big bunch of data. You know, well, if you want, I, I don't, I don't want to spoil your fun though, Dave. If you want to think it's the blob is in the blob from, you know, the old <laughs> movie, then go for it. But look it up. I, I believe that's binary large object. So there, are going you're going to see two files inside of the package. Uh, again, the backup of the package, face underscore db and face.db. Those are the two files that contain the face data. So take those from your backup, copy them over to your new package. And hopefully, it, and that, that's the only way I know of to, um, to restore that data. The other, of course, is with with many Apple applications, iPhoto and Aperture being two of them. If when you launch the application, you hold down uh, option and command, you will get a repair dialogue. But it sounds like he did that already. So you get a dialogue right. saying, hey, you want to rebuild this? You want to repair permissions? It sounds like he already went through that. So what I just suggested is is uh, what you got to do. And, and again, folks, remember, always make a backup one or more backups. Yeah. So when, when disaster strikes like it does here, you can go back to a fairly recent version uh, or time machine version would be, you know, would be the best option here. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. Let's, uh, let's hear the second half.
3: Uh, Second question, if you don't mind, Uh, she has a MacBook air uh, latest version, 13 inch. uh, And we use an external hard drive to store the iPhoto database because it's so large and she complains about sluggishness on the network. So I was wondering if I'd be able to split the iPhoto database and have, say, the current year pictures on her local SSD drive and then archive, you know, anything a year or later onto an iPhoto library on the external and then just use the, you know, hold down the object key when I launch iPhoto so she can choose the right one. How do you move photos between the libraries? so then A initially set it up, and then in year two when she wants to move you know, 2012 photos onto the external and then start with 2013 next year on her local. How do you manage all that? Uh, This is where you cut me off.
0: All right. Yeah. So the easiest answer, John already mentioned, well, actually you didn't mention, but you can create second, uh, a second iPhoto library. Uh, I believe by holding down option, not option and command, but just option when you start up. But that's not going to help you moving things around. But what is going to help you move things around is an app called iPhoto Library Manager. It is uh, for anyone with any size iPhoto Library. They're going to run into exactly what you're talking about here, David. And iPhoto Library Manager is the easiest Perhaps even the only way to even consider doing this. So uh, so check that out. I don't think it's all that expensive. Uh, it is not free, but whatever they charge for it, it's worth it. Uh, I'm looking here for you. It's at fatcatsoftware.com,
2: and it is... Is it compatible with the latest version? I thought, yeah. Oh, okay, because I thought I had something... Now twenty bucks. Photo that did. Uh, maybe that was something else that I would remember using to do tags and that kind of stuff. Okay. on uh, it was a tag manager.
0: No, this isn't uh, tags. This is yeah. just really managing the library. And but but you can move uh, albums from one library to another. It's it, it's awesome. So, that yeah. looks
2: like something I need to look into because what yeah. I've been doing is just like. Uh, th- 2 to 2 to 4 years depending how big and massive the library gets and then I cut like Start I just cut one. one off in January and now we're starting a, a 2012 yeah. 2013 version. Yeah.
0: Now, check out check out IPLM. It's it's the only way to go. Huh? It, yeah, you won't turn back. Well,
2: it's 20 bucks. It's easy. I don't think it's the only way to go.
0: Uh, is, there, is there is well, there another app?
1: Yes, there is. Go. Aperture. Oh, well, sure. I'm yeah. not kidding. But but no, no, Aperture right. is a higher end program and uh, I'm I'm not the only person. I I pretty much ditched iPhoto because yeah, it was getting sluggish and and I really don't think iPhoto is really designed for huge libraries, right? Yeah. Uh, Aperture is a higher end pro. Mm? I, yeah, I is a higher end program. Uh so number one, it it's just snappier when it's dealing with uh, I mean right now my Aperture the the, the the my Aperture library file is about 100 gigs. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. And I have it on a rotational drive. But the thing is, I have every photo pretty much that I ever took. And, and you know, I made the dive. Uh, I dove in at one point and I just bought it. I believe it's still is it 79 bucks through the app store. And that's what oh, sold. That's me. Right. When, Apple, when Apple did this drastic price cut, it used to be, I think, about 250. Yeah. But once they lowered it to basically, you know, not much more than the iLife suite, I'm like, you know what? I got to get this because it not only handles larger, uh, you know, lo- larger libraries better, but it offers you a, a lot. Um, there may be a learning curve. You, you can certainly use it like you did iPhoto, but, uh, but I would say you may want to consider Aperture and it's it seamlessly for the most part, including importing faces, you know, it imports all that data. So, it's pretty much seamless. It may take a while, like mine, because I had ten years of photos or, or more. It, it it took almost a day to, wow. to uh, I import. I remember it taking a long time when I died. yeah I did to convert import my, my iPhoto library. But while I was doing an import, the thing is, you can also reference your iPhoto library. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that, where you kind of have mm-hmm. Aperture pointing at it, but it, it's not really a native Aperture library. It's just kind of references. So I just made the dive and I just pulled everything in, and then I deleted my iPhoto library, and I haven't looked back. So. Cool. Uh, put it on your radar they have uh, I'll link to it in in the show notes but they do have a 30-day trial so you may just want to try it and just see if aperture uh, if you're ready for aperture at this point there's I, a, I would there's actually a
2: I, screencast online oh. tutorial for for aperture I know that it's a three-part series he did so cool
0: uh, I will point something out uh David you you may get um, for what your wife is doing, especially because you're talking about keeping the library on her local drive on her MacBook Air, my guess is that, of course, that drive isn't all that large, uh, relatively speaking. So you you may want to split it up, not just for speed purposes, but also, of course, for portability.
1: So just bear that in mind. And yes, it, Aperture is 80 bucks. Uh-huh. Okay. The other program I've heard some people, uh, another one you may consider is, uh, I would say it's it's in the same class, but uh, uh, Lightroom, which is, uh, I think, from Adobe, is another popular uh, photo editing and management program. I, I'd say it's split. You know, if the people I know that are pros or semi-pros, I'd say half of them use Aperture and half of them really like Lightroom. So uh, another recommendation. I think they have the same thing. I, I did a free trial for both, and I just lean towards Aperture because I think it's, well, it's just more Apple. Interesting. <laughs> well, it integrates better with with all the Apple stuff. You know, you can you can peruse your your Apple libraries and stuff and uh you know, because uh, uh, Lightroom is Adobe, they they just don't offer quite that level of integration, but but I think uh, Lightroom may offer slightly more features as far as the editing, so it's 300 to consider. And it's more expensive, yeah.
2: <laughs> For 300 bucks it better offer more. You got it.
1: <laughs> you got
0: it. All right. Um where are we here? Let's see. Now, where are we time wise? That's kind of the important thing. All right. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look here. We're not going to, as, as typically happens, we're not going to get through everything. Um, we had a
1: CSF potential battle. I don't know if you, yeah,
0: battle, let's, but no, let's jump discussion. Let's jump to cool stuff found. Yeah. Let's do that. Okay. So, so there's a couple, there's a couple things in there that we have. Um, the, the first one that I found is an app uh, that came out i think it came out last week called reflection and what it does is at Reflectionapp.com and i think it's I know, uh, fifteen bucks yeah fifteen bucks uh, what it does is you know you've got this thing called airplay that uh, has actually sort of expanded in in what it does but If you have an Apple TV and you have an iOS device, an iPad or an iPhone running iOS 5, you can uh, essentially mirror the video wirelessly from your iOS device onto your television. And this is awesome. However, there's been a lot of people out there, myself included, that have often said, gosh, I want to do this to my Mac. It would be great for doing presentations. Um, because you know, hooking up an iPad and switching back and forth between an iPad and your Mac doing like a keynote presentation or whatever, uh, especially if your Mac is the thing hooked up to, to the projector, it's kind of a pain in the neck. So reflection makes your Mac an airplay destination and you just buy this and put it on your Mac and you are good to go. So, uh, it does require, uh, 10, 6 or later. Uh, So obviously Snow Leopard or Lion. And it has to be an iPhone 4S or an iPad 2. Uh, And I'm not sure why that limitation exists, uh, but I'm sure it is for good reason, because otherwise they would. uh, It says uh, AirPlay mirroring requires the beefed up hardware on the iPad 2 and iPhone 4S to handle the the mirroring. Oh, so you can't you can't mirror from uh, an iPhone uh, four or an iPad one to your television either, I guess. Uh, and I don't, I, I never would have known that because if I hadn't read it, that's why we read these things. So there, there you go. So I've learned at least three new things this show, John. So that's uh so that's reflection app at uh, reflection com. So go ahead and check it out.
1: Fun stuff. You got one, John. I do have one. And, and I hope, I don't get beat up by Allison Sheridan, who does the No Silicast podcast, but she sent me an email, and I assume she'll be okay with this because we're all friends. We all love each other. That's right. I think we do. And hopefully after this, we still will. But, anyways, she sent me a little tip here. Um, the, the subject of the email was just to be obnoxious. And she said, Perfect. I use LastPass instead of 1Password, free. And Steve Gibson, who is a, a, a security expert, yep. says it's safe. So if Steve Gibson says it's safe, then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll trust Steve on that. Oh, yeah. I don't follow his stuff too much, but apparently people have looked at it and it sounds oh, good. Dude, you should. Um, you would love that. You would, you would love, love his podcast. Yeah. Is it security now? Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. I, I've listened to it he'll, on occasion. He'll, he'll geek you man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's totally right I, up your I, alley. I, totally I think, right up your alley. I, I don't think it'll blow, uh, I have... You know, I've done crypto and security and stuff, so I I, I think it'd be hopefully it'd be on my level and not above. So, oh no, I um, pro- well, yeah, I don't know. It's certainly above my level when it comes to the security stuff. It's good stuff. Okay, There's a lot to learn. Yeah, but then the line here was wonderful. So when Dave was pushing one password, he sounded just like Katie and the others. They sound like people who just got back from Rises Seven with that game. Now, if you're not a Star Trek geek, you'll have no idea what that means. But there are two relevant episodes here. Maybe you want to tell a bit about the app. Ep- well, first, I'm going to I'm going to just just give so she, you a quick she's key. talking
0: about the uh, Star Trek Next Generation season five, episode six called The Game. Now, I am not that much of a Star Trek geek. We looked it up before the show, <laughs> but I'm uh, well, sure you did. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I, I had just recently watched that episode with my son because um, he's he's gotten into Next Generation. Anyway, it it, it you're right about this. Um, so the just
1: of the episode is that people start playing so so they go to this this fun planet and they get this game and anybody who plays the game just can't stop saying how great it is and right and it almost seems like they're hypnotized or something and and actually if you go back to classic Star Trek Tribbles were the same way, you know, right. the big fur balls. Anybody who got a tribble fell in love with it and then wanted to give everybody else a tribble. So uh so she was making I think a a humorous uh jab there. Uh, in that people that like one password seem to really, re- almost like Mac people, you know. So some yeah. of these really, you know, crazy fanatics. <laughs> Anyways, I tried LastPass, and for so wait wait before we talk it- about LastPass,
0: and I do want to hear about this. Um, but but I I wanted to address this point because she's right. I I sound like a crazy person when I talk about one password, <laughs> similar to when I talk about my Tivo or my Mac or whatever. But it, it and and it's because, and and this is. This is actually a good conversation to have. And, and I want to enlist um, all of our listeners here to help us here because. And tell us what these
1: things do. Dave, yeah. Well, no, because there it, for for newcomers.
0: No, 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 no. I, you're going to talk about that. I, I'm oh, I'm just correct. talking in, in general. It's very easy for us. And I, when I say us, I mean, John and I, but but certainly it's, it's certainly possible for all of us to get our blinders on. Uh, you know, one password is a perfect example. Do I am I aware of the fact that there are, are alternatives to one password? Yes. Have I ever bothered to try them? No. Why? Well, because I use one password. I'm very happy with it. i trust it, but it's because I use it. Now, one password is actually something that I bought as part of a bundle uh, years ago, and and so and that's fine. But a lot of the software, uh, is and and so. It it all comes down to the fact that one password has done an amazing job of marketing their app. They've also done an amazing job of writing their app and supporting their app. It's, it's, you know, it's an awesome app. This would not work if their app was crap, but the fact that they have gone out of their way to market this thing like crazy and they're not alone. A lot of people have marketed their apps in great ways. Uh, Like I said, I, I got one password because I paid for it as part of a bundle, but a lot of people will just approach Uh, John and I and other podcasters and other people in positions of influence and and just give us software. Now, it's not they're not giving it to us with any quid pro quo that we should mention it or anything, but they're giving it to us in the hopes that we start using it and then doing exactly what we do, which is talk about the things that we use. It's really, really smart business for these people to do it. And and it's fine, but we need everyone out there to kind of keep us honest and, and, and you folks do a good job of it. I'm just reminding you, make sure to tell us about these alternatives and keep us honest on this stuff so that we can keep all of you informed about everything. And, and kind of as a collective, we can make sure that, uh, that that we don't keep the blinders on too much anyway. So, uh, so with that, uh, and I, I will, I will, I will heed your request. What one password, excuse me, what one password does is it, Manages all of your passwords and credit card numbers and secure notes and things like that in one repository that uh, is secured by one password that you can unlock it with once you've unlocked it and it integrates with your browsers, Chrome, Safari, Firefox, uh, It will automatically enter your passwords. It'll automatically sense when you're putting a password in for most websites. There are a couple that, you know, it it doesn't work with and they try to fix that as quickly as they can. Uh, But it essentially makes it so that you can have different passwords for every website and yet still only use one password to unlock them all. Uh, because that's the trick is you don't want to use the same password everywhere for all the reasons that everybody says. And yet it's what we all do because by golly, I don't want to have to remember a jillion things. Well, one password and apps of its ilk. And I think John's going to talk about one as soon as I shut up here. uh, Do this. So, uh, so that's what one password does. It's great. It allows me to sync so I can see it on my iOS devices. I can see it on my, all of my Macs and, and all of that good stuff. So anyway, that's what this does. And John, I think you found another one called
1: LastPass. Yes. So LastPass, So I've been thinking about this for a while because my method right now of doing passwords. So one, I do not use the same username and password. Sometimes it's a restriction placed by the site. And uh, another thing is just it's good practice not to use the same Using a password because we've seen that sites have been compromised, and you know if they notice that, you know if they they get a hold of this information, they may try to go to popular credit card or banking sites to try to see if you're uh, lazy enough to do the same thing. So, uh, what LastPass and One Password do on a very basic level now, at least LastPass, I'll say what it does is it is a at least in my case a Safari extension. So I installed it as a Safari extension. It's free. And I think the basic functionality is uh, the other thing you want to do is create an account. So what happens is when you go to a Web page that requires a login, it's usually smart enough once you've logged in to say, hey, I just saw you logged in. Would you like me to save this for you so that the next time you come here, I will take the information out of a secure repository and populate the fields on the Web page? And, you know, it'll come across uh, on, a, on a small bar and and you can say yes or no. But once you say yes, and, and here, so here's the added value here, is that I installed it not only on my MacBook Pro, but my Mac Mini. Though, though my MacBook Pro is my day-to-day machine, on occasion, my Mac Mini, I may want, want to log into a site that requires a user, username and password. So here's the value, I think, of both of these solutions. At the very lowest level is that they will store your username and password somewhere other than a sticky note, which I admit is not the best place for me to store that. Uh, but it allows multiple... Uh, computers running a browser to log into and and retrieve this information from a hopefully secure repository, and that's what it's done for me. And uh, so far, I've been crossing things off of my um, sticky once they're in the database for this. So um, do you, I don't do you believe. Keep, do you keep a local copy of that database as well? In a sticky,
0: yes. <laughs> no. Okay. So so LastPass does not keep a local copy
1: on your machine. So um, if,
0: I believe it does. Okay, because if their server, you, you, you get what I'm well, after, I log it. Well, here. I
1: definitely have to log in. So the thing is, you have to log in, but I believe it, it maintains both a local copy, similar okay. to, I think, Dropbox. It maintains okay. both a local copy and a copy on their server of, of your data. So in that respect, it's That's similar good. to 1Password. Yep. I haven't looked, though. I believe they offer additional functionality. So I think the thing is, 1Password offers not only web login but as you mentioned dave you can you can securely store other types of information with one password so that in and of itself is is a reason to go bum beyond it. i believe also LastPass offers a pay option but i'm using it just for basic web browser login now it also offers so it doesn't do it automatically and i think one password does but it it has the ability to generate a what we'll call a strong password with enough randomness where someone will never guess it yep But normally, it just looks over your shoulder and says, oh, you entered this? You want me to save that? And you're like, yeah. Or you could say, well, by the way, I'm logging into a website. Can you, while we're at it, generate something that's kind of random and then save that? Cool. For now, I'm having it do the, you know, fairly, not totally random, but, you know, my passwords, I vary them. You know, I use a, a similar pattern, but I'll... You know, mix it up with you know special characters and different numbers and different letters, so they're not identical. They're they're different enough where if someone had one of them, they wouldn't be able to log into everything else that I log in. Sure, so cool. But I like it because it just comes up, so you see it again. You see it in your in your uh, menu bar, and then when you're on a site where it detects that you've been there before, you'll see the little. It's a little star, and it'll appear in the username and password field, kind of giving you a hint. It's like, well, you you want me to log in with what you used last time? And you're like, yeah, sure. Now, does one password automatically generate a strong password the first time you're at a site? It'll uh, offer to. It'll offer to. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. so I see yeah. that's that's a plus here. I think with LastPass, you have to kind of manually invoke that. So, so that yeah. I see is a plus as well. Now, but, one
2: password you actually uses browser extensions for Firefox, Chrome, and Safari. I think I think this is using what extensions. Are, yeah. yeah. Now, LastPass last is an passes. extension. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, it seems very similar. I'm looking at it here. Mm-hmm. The, the 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 premium thing gets rid of the ads. And adds mobile support, so you can have it on your iOS devices and Blackberry, okay. which and is a buck a stuff. month it's a buck a month yeah. well, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. bad except if you'd use it for ten years well I mean, there you go yeah. you know yeah, but hey, you're getting updates and everything, so I mean you're probably not paying I mean it's probably all you know it's probably all equal in the end,
1: I think you know so 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 far i'm uh, I've only found a couple of web pages where I missed the fact that I was logging in, yep. Yeah. I don't know if we want to shake our fist at Redbox. Well, we already did it in our oh. pre show. And we'll, we'll say, no, that, for whatever, stars. I don't I don't know what they're doing in their JavaScript or whatever they're doing, but it just totally didn't know that I logged into Redbox. It, right. it, it, normally, when it's, it sees you log in, I assume using standards, it says, hey, I saw you log in. You want me to save this? Uh, Redbox and Google was the other one. Google, sometimes when you log, well, Flickr. Really? Flickr, uh, I logged into yeah. via Google and they kind of do a weird sub window thing. And I had to like time it just right, right. to get to click on the acknowledgement because yeah, it brings up a sub window. You log in and then it goes away and you don't have time to click on the, the thing saying, yes, please save this. Um, Right, right, right. Other than that, every other website I've been to that had a username, password form, uh, work great. So cool. So hopefully folks try either one of these out. (sighs) And we're not crazy now, but it was good to get on the bandwagon. No, it's good. Because the way that's I was good. doing it was not the right way. It, it, it was one, it was almost like having the sticky note on the bottom of my keyboard or, or pasted to my monitor. Right. And if anybody, yeah, not, <laughs> not, good.
0: not good. All right. Uh, let's see. Well, we've uh, told you how to contact us and that's important. Feedback at MacGeekUp.com is probably the most common way. We've already thanked Michael, but we'll thank him again. Thank you, Mr. Johnston, for all the work that you've done for us and continue to do for us all these great many years. Uh, Cashfly, I'd like to extend some thanks to them. They provide all the bandwidth to get uh, the podcast from us to you. And, of course, our podcast marketplace, which includes PDF pen for iPad, Edit from Barebones Software, uh, let's see, Gazelle. Uh, with uh, And, you know, with that iPad 3, uh, well, with the likelihood of Wednesday being an iPad 3 event, uh, if you want to sell your uh, device, now's the time to uh, to start that process. So gazelle.com is the place to do that. And then, of course, hover at hover.com slash MGG. All of that through the... Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And, you know, there's other sites, uh, and, well, other sites, but uh, specifically other podcasts that, uh, that we work with here at Backbeat Media. Uh, obviously, MacGeekHub here is, is one of them. MacCast, done by Adam Christensen. Evil Genius Chronicles from Mr. Dave Slusher. Coverville from Brian Ibbett. Uh, that's one of my favorites. I like that podcast. It's, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a music geek, so that's, uh, that's why, of course. And then uh, the, the, um, the Apple Context Machine. From Brian Chaffin and Jeff Gamett, and there might be more coming on board too. So, all right, uh, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else here, John. I think that's it. So we will uh, we will be back next week. I I don't know if it's going to be Monday, John, but because um, I'm going to be in Austin next week for South by Southwest, uh, so it may be. It may actually be. We've typically found like Tuesday or Wednesday seems to be the right day for. Uh, For us to do a show based on the South by Southwest schedule, so we'll do it after South by Southwest Interactive finishes, so that we can talk a little bit about that. Uh, We'll we'll have to coordinate our schedules, John. But I will, by hook or by crook, we will make it work. And uh, you think that's that? You got anything to add before we uh, before we leave here, John? Nothing. Nothing, huh? You sure about that? Um, I've added everything I can, Dave. I know. We had quite a bit here, yeah. That's been a good show. I like this. So we will be back on Thursday with uh, Mackie Cup 385 Premium for all of you premium folks. Please do join us over there. Uh, For for those of you that have joined us, thank you very much. And uh, for the rest of you that haven't, come on over. It's uh, almost a guaranteed way to uh, to not get caught.